from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver Sevens Hotel and Casino. It's Cofield and Company. All right, here we go. Thursday show. Silver Sevens. Home of the 77-cent beer during all NFL games and all VGK games. Busy day, man. Busy day. NFL never stops. We got the playoffs. I was going to say wrapping up, technically. Before the Super Bowl, we'll get the uh, matchup this weekend. Final four is upon us. We'll break that down a little bit. John Von Tobel is the company. John, of course, of v and uh, Westgate fame. Uh, what? Superbook Sports. Thank you very much. That was a good point. Oh, boy. Uh, Superbook Sports. Yes, Superbook Sports. Uh, we are hanging out here at Silver Sevens. A lot of NFL news. I want to come right out of the gates, John, with a story we'll hit on several times throughout the show because it has a ripple effect. Some head coach news. Uh, one of the openings is filled. Uh, Frank Reich, former Colts coach, has been hired in Carolina. Yeah. So we'll get your reaction to that since you're a big Colts fan. Dallas, big news. Jerry Jones said today he'd like Mike McCarthy to stay around for a long time, like Tom Landry long time. Okay, chill out. Uh, But I think the bigger news is the fact that both of the coordinators have said they're coming back. Kellen Moore was up for some gigs. Actually, I don't know if Kellen Moore's confirmed it. I know Kellen Moore was in the running for the Panthers job, so I don't want to say that's official. Dan Quinn did say, after interviewing with the Colts and the Broncos, he is going to stay in Dallas, which the Colts part of it is very interesting. Hold off on that because that is going to bring an explosion later on. I wonder what it says about the Broncos if they told him, hey, Dan, you're not the guy because I would think he's the backup for Sean Payton. And there has been no Sean Payton news today, right? Did I miss it? No, none whatsoever. So I think, look, ultimately when it comes to the Cowboys, it's generally a good sign for McCarthy that both the coordinators seem like they're going to come back, as you mentioned. Nothing 100% official, but we did get the quote from Quinn that he wants to remain there in Dallas, wants to win a title with Dallas. And I also think, too, like Mike McCarthy's an easy punching bag, so I think we all kind of go immediately to the, oh, he's gone. Sean Payton's coming in. And if you're Jerry Jones, is it really worth shipping off all the assets and the money it would acquire to get Sean Payton? Does he really raise the ceiling that much in terms of the draft capital you'd have to ship off, in terms of the money you'd have to pay for him in terms of with the, when it comes to his salary? I don't know if $20 million a year is true, but it, <clears throat> excuse me, it'd be a lot. So I think it's generally – a positive for the Cowboys, and continuity is always a good thing when it comes to building franchise. Pro Football Talk, actually, to get an update on Kellen Moore, says Mike McCarthy did not guarantee that Kellen Moore would return. He said uh, during a press conference, I don't really want to play this game today. It's been a long couple of days. Kellen Moore, just like the rest of the coaches, will be evaluated. Uh, they evaluated a bunch of the other coaches. They fired six of them. Yeah. So a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of coming and goings in Dallas. The list of dudes who have been uh, fired amongst the six also uh, includes Joe Philbin, who was the old line coach, which I think is pretty interesting. Yeah, Somebody's got to take the fall, right? If McCarthy's poor, not going to be the guy. Poor, poor Joe Philbin. That's what you do. You go down to the assistants, right? And if it's not either one of the coordinators, then you go down farther and you go, hey, you know what? Because I, I don't know about you, Steve, but when I watched that 49ers game, my first thought was, wow, Joe Philbin's doing a terrible job with this offensive line. Fire him immediately. Get them out of here. It's the reason why the Dallas Cowboys are not it's winning this fault. game. Right. It's pretty amazing. Pretty somebody's, amazing. Somebody's head's got to roll. A lot of people are blown away by the fact that uh, former Broncos coach Nathaniel Hackett, who didn't do a great job, and their offense just sputtered, has been hired to take over the Jets on the offensive side 
of the ball. Again, lots of ripple effects on this one. Let's go with the first angle with Hackett going to the Jets. A lot of people thought when Hackett went to the Broncos, that meant they were getting a package deal with Aaron Rodgers going to Denver. That didn't happen. We're going to do this all over again with the Jets getting Rodgers now? Well, isn't the offensive coordinator who didn't call plays a really important connection point for Aaron Rodgers? I just He didn't call plays. I never really understood that. Outside of being a former employee who didn't really have a hand in the offense, as we know, right? He helped, obviously, but he was more of an offensive assistant because we know LaFleur was in charge of play calling, still is. Like, why would Aaron Rodgers go there? Now, Aaron Rodgers going to the Jets because they're a team that seems to be a quarterback away and he can maximize, you know, the window and all that makes sense. More sense than hiring a guy that completely failed in terms of building an offense around what was once a really great quarterback and didn't have anything to do with the offense that he was part of the year before. I don't really understand the move at all, to be quite honest with you, if you're the New York Jets, especially when you had LaFleur out there and there were some positive signs with, you know, a journeyman-like guy in white. I guess as a Jets fan... I mean, I am intrigued by the possibility that Rodgers could come. I don't think that's going to happen. And I don't think that Hackett is a terrible hire. I think there are other better candidates. I don't know if Eric Bieniemy is the guy. We're going to have to get into that again because uh, jobs are closing down. And the thought is, well, once again, Eric Bieniemy not getting interviews for a head coaching position. Maybe he's just got to leave the Chiefs and prove that he can really do it, which is a, a pretty crazy angle. Down in Tampa as we kind of – Update everyone on a Raiders quarterback candidate. So uh, we mentioned Rodgers there with Tom Brady. We played audio after the last game uh, in the playoffs, and Brady was saying goodbye. So I don't know if there's any discussion to be had here that he was going to consider Tampa. And now it's gotten even worse because Byron Leftwich is out, and it sounds like there's discord in the organization because they've also – uh, blown out some other assistants. Rick Stroud was on Tampa radio. He's uh, one of the Bucks beat writers and was talking about, you'll hear the question at the beginning here, just where Bruce Arians is in all of this. A lot of these guys were Bruce Arians guys. Do we know how mm-hmm. Bruce Arians felt about all this? Not happy. Very unhappy. Uh, extremely unhappy. Did I mention he's not happy? I guess that's the biggest thing. You know, you, you, you know, he wanted Todd to have this opportunity. He wanted to keep these, these, the staff together. He wanted these families to be together. Many of them have another year on their contracts. Um, many of them thought they would be here as long as Todd was the head coach. Uh, we're told as much, and that's not the case. And so he's hurt by it. Sounds like Bruce Arians isn't happy about what happened <laughs> in the front office. Sounds like he's unhappy, and also uh, give us cut too. He's he's probably not going to stay around. I don't know you're going to see him around much next year. He told me that weeks ago before all this happened that he's probably going to spend more time in Georgia than than coming down here. Players don't know him anymore. Uh, doesn't really have a role during the week all that much, but he do a lot of evaluation for the draft if he's still involved. Not good for him, uh, and and very disappointed that a lot of these guys got fired. It seems like there's a really big shift going on here in Tampa Bay, right? In terms of Arians, his role with the team diminishing, firing all the assistants. Tom Brady's questionable in terms of his return and seemed to be saying goodbye. Like, I think that's a team that's more on the verge of a rebuild than it is a team bringing back Tom Brady and maybe competing for another Super Bowl next year. We're going to have a giveaway in just a couple minutes. East West Shrine tickets. 
98th edition of the game. It's at Allegiant next week right here in Las Vegas. 5.30 start on Thursday. We've got a VIP pack that we're qualifying everyone for. But right now, if you call, no, you know, we're going to do it in a little bit. I just said we're going to do it in a little bit. Sorry. False start there. False start. Uh, we're going to talk to Steve Wolf first. Uh, college basketball analyst, and then we'll give away those tickets. But if you uh, don't win tickets with us on all of our shows, you can go to Ticketmaster.com, grab your tickets, great cause, the uh, Shriners Children's Hospital. All the proceeds go to the Shriners Children's Hospital. 19 bucks plus fees, Ticketmaster.com. Grab your tickets now. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at me, JVT, or tweet the show at Cofield & Co. at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s. It's Cofield and Company. Yeah, Reno in town to take on UNLV. That was a highlight from Nevada's win over New Mexico in double overtime earlier in the week. Steve Wolf was on the call. Steve's going to join us here in just a second. I actually talked to Steve earlier this morning, so we'll uh, we'll bring him up here in just a second. Let's do that Shriners uh, giveaway, the East-West Shrine Bowl, 98th edition. It's here in Vegas again. 5.30 kickoff next Thursday. A great cause. Great cause for the Shriners Hospital. Caller 7, 364-1100, Tickets start as low as 19-plus fees, but Ari's got a pair right now for the East-West Shrine game next week right here in Las Vegas. On the way back, you hear a highlight there from that New Mexico-Nevada game, and that was quite fitting. Good pull by our vast sound crew. Uh, Nevada got back in the game by playing defense late. They had a, uh, they caused a, a five-second call on the sideline down 87-82 with a minute and two left, and overtime went on to win the game. So let's break down this upcoming matchup. Let's talk a little about the conference, a very balanced conference in the Mountain West. I talked to Steve Wolf a little earlier in the day. We started off the conversation just getting his take on uh, how crazy it's been and how balanced this conference is. Well, I'll tell you, this is a unique year, I think, uh, for Mountain West basketball, and hopefully it continues for years to come. But uh, it's been so much fun, and I think, Steve, the real reason why it's been it's going to be fun for Mountain West fans is that, you know, you can't cannibalize each other in this league. And what I mean by that is, you know, you in the past you've had San Jose State that you went there, and if you won, it you know it, it gave you a hit to your net ranking, and if you lost, it it, it decimated decimated you. So this year that's not happening. So right now, middle of the pack as far as the top teams in the country. Uh, with the net ranking because of that. So it's fun. Every game means something. And I did two games last week. Uh, I did Fresno State and UNLV, and then I did Nevada and New Mexico. And all four of those teams, uh, I feel, could, could win the tournament. Uh, and then you got San Diego State and Boise. Uh, it's, it's just uh, an electric year as far as I'm concerned uh, for college basketball in the Mountain West. So tell me what you saw with the Wolfpack uh, in that double overtime game. What were you impressed by? Well, I think that, first of all, they have, uh, you know, one of the top ten coaches in the country. I mean, just look at his background. Look at his resume. Uh, you know, coaches of the year at the Big Ten and also in the Mountain West. Uh, you know, I, I like the Jared Lucas kid. I, I think that he is one of those guys. He's a little bit of a strange bird as far as, you know, shooting shots. I mean, a lot of his shots are off balance. I always say his shots are like my high school coach. No, 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 yes, you know, because it goes back in. 
But I, I think what really is helping them out right now, there's a couple things that I saw. I like this Will Baker. I, Baker's a big seven-footer, transfer out of Texas. Uh, he was going to uh, look at UCLA when Steve Alford was there. That was his backup. Uh, he went to Texas. He's now come in to Reno and is playing great basketball. Uh, he had 20 in the first half uh, against the Lobos, and he, the first shot of the game, big seven-footer, knocked down a three and set the table. And then he was getting the, the, you know, the ball on the low block, and he was really unstoppable. Now, I think he wore down a little bit as the game went on because it was frenetic pace, but he's a heck of a player. The other kid I really like is it's, uh, really a matchup. He's about 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, he's a guard. He'll bring the ball up court. Uh, he's a very, very good inside player, so he can take the little guards down and post them up. He's good in transition. He's a really good rebounder. Uh, and, and, and that's fun to watch play. But they have a, a, a lot of good players. Um, I, I think this Trey Coleman's a good defensive player. Uh, you know, so you know maybe he'll march up, mark, uh, match up with Marquis. Uh, but this game, as I look at it, is going to be a fun game to watch because both of them can get it up and down the court. Both of them can score. Uh, Nevada gets to the free throw line a ton, uh, twenty times a game. They may pay at the free throw line, uh, but you know, Coach Kruger got, has has got a team that uh, is right there. Uh, I think that they're going to get better and better. They got one of the best coaches too. So the coaching matchups for my you know, for these games uh, are, are fantastic. I mean, you got Richie Patino at New Mexico. You got Alford. Uh, you got Kruger. I mean, you got you got some good coaches in that league, and then you got the Leon Rice. He's got all these other coaches that have been there for a long time. So, it's going to be a heck of a matchup. Yeah, Blackshear is intriguing, uh, and especially going against a UNLV defense because uh, would kind of call him more of a power point guard, a guy who could back people down. But bringing the ball up the floor, I think, is kind of interesting. At you know six six and two twenty, and UNLV likes to defend full court when they have a healthy Elijah Parquet. I wonder how that's going to work because it's worked so far for Nevada. They're actually really good in terms of turnover numbers. So it, it, that was a it was an interesting move by Steve Alford with a lack of a true point with Sherfield out of the program. So point guard is going to be interesting second half of the season for them. That's probably the biggest concern that Steve Alford has. But I, I'll tell you, uh, as far as the press for UNLV, I love when they pressure full court because they they get a lot. They turn they turn people over. Uh, at an unbelievable pace, and, and they score quickly. But, you know, when he had Blackshear, he's 6'6", so, you know, he can toss the ball over those little guards that are trapping him. And, you know, a lot of times he doesn't have to bring the ball court. You know, get the ball to Lucas, and Lucas can play the point too. But, um, you know, they didn't have a whole lot of uh, issues with uh, the Lobos press. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it is going to be a situation, I think, that, uh, you know, defense – on, on Baker is going to be very important, you know, bringing somebody out. You know, you were talking about Parquet. Wow. Uh, I think the biggest concern when he was out was getting him back because of his defense. Uh, he does so many things. He ignites the offense with his defense. He takes the best player on the court and he guards them. So uh, he's going to be very important. Um, and, and hopefully he looked like he was at full strength, but still, you know, you're rusty when you come back in the game. Uh, you know, and I think that's going to be a, a key. Uh, the other thing, when you look at Blackshear, you you know, I think UNLV's got a, a big body guard, uh, you know, in, in Keyshawn. Uh, 
Keyshawn. Halt's very big and strong. And uh, now he doesn't play defense like Blackshear. Yeah. But he can score on anybody. Now, as I talked to Coop, one of the assistant coaches, John Coop, and Coop, I was talking to him about it. And I said, you know, why isn't he playing more? And he goes, well, you know, freshmen need to learn how to play defense. But uh, he has been playing very well offensively. He's got great soft hands, uh, but he's got to work on his defense. He cannot allow uh, his opponent, you know, to match. As my college coach say, uh, play opponent. Get out there and, you know, you got to have some stops. And that's where his big problem has come. But uh, last, now he's played in eight games, seven, eight games. He's doing a heck of a job. That's running reps. Steve Wolf with us from CBS Sportsnet calls a lot of the games as color analyst, former guard at Xavier. Yeah, that's really one of the challenges now for UNLV. They were, uh, I think they got as high as top uh, 35 in Kempom defensively. Um, a lot of the Mountain West kind of figured out they're switching defense, and now they're rotating in, you know, a 6'7", 260-pounder in Hall. And I noticed in the Fresno game, Fresno in the second half was like, hey, you're going to have him on the floor. We're going to ISO him in pick and roll and get him stuck on a guard. So, now UNLV in the last game went to more traditional man. They're still switching when uh, Vicky Waco was on the floor, but that's the biggest thing for him now is how do you have a 260-pounder out there and not get him stuck in bad situations? Well, and I think, you know, that, and I don't think Kevin's going to play zoned, um, but that was actually the situation. He got tired, um, and guys were just taking him. Uh, you know, when they switch that screen, uh, you know, they're slipping the screen. You know, they straight to the basket, and they got the big guy in for the for the easy layup. So, I think that's an important part of it. Honestly, I think Hall should probably be uh, two forty, maybe two thirty, yeah. uh, if he's going to play his best. But he's a freshman. I mean, I, I was super impressed with uh, his court awareness. Uh, you want him on the court on offense, but uh, you know, you want a little bit more defense. He's never going to be parquet. But uh, it would help if they got some defense on the perimeter for him because they do go after him and ISO him. Yeah, you mentioned Harkless earlier, really interesting guy. And, you know, this is kind of the way uh, Kevin Kruger has built the last couple of years. He's found guys who were maybe a little underutilized. Harkless was a scorer, but around 10 points a game. And now he's the alpha on the team. And, man, his game is really interesting because he can shoot it from deep. But he is great in the lane with creativity and Euro steps and fadeaways. He's a really skilled offensive player. He, he really is, and, I, and it was fun to watch him in Fresno. He was basically taking the whole team on himself. Uh, he, every shot that he, he took, like it was going to go in. And I think he's now riding that wave of confidence that when he gets the ball in his hands, you know, a 10-point scorer looks the dish. He's a, he's a second or third option, maybe even a fourth option in some teams. Harkless is the first option in my mind. Uh, you go to him, you get him the ball, and what I like is that a lot of times he's able to be a, a, a triple threat where he can, you know, take it to the basket. He can shoot the jump shot, but he's also looking for other guys. And the the better he plays offensively, the more he's going to have to be adept at getting other guys the ball. So not just him scoring, but him putting other guys in a position to score when he's double teamed, he's pressured. Because, you know, if you put a, a guy in his face and he's up close on it, he's going to dribble drive to the basket. But you're going to get another guy falling off. He's got to be able to get the guys in stride you know, to the basket. And guys have to be ready for that. Back to Alford. I think he's the coach of the year. Slight nod to Alford over what Richard Patino has done. Am I wrong on that? 
I'll tell you, I, I think Richie Pitino has done an unbelievable yeah. job. You know, it could be a pick em. Um, you know, Steve Alford, you know, you, can, you can't get away with anything when you play his team. You know, I was talking to my play-by-play guy, John Sadak, and the first half, you know, there were so many things going on. And I said, you know what, wait till the second half comes out. He'll have different things strategically that he does change in game. Uh, he's a hard-nosed guy. He's going to stick with what he believes. But he was playing zone. I mean, he played some zone the other night. I, I, I couldn't believe it. Um, and it was really hard for New Mexico to get what they wanted. And that was his spot. But I think that what Patino has done has been fantastic. Not only what he's done on the court coaching, but how he's rounded out his team. Uh, you know, getting the two big guys in there have made the world difference. This is a top five. I know they lost it. Nevada, Nevada's really good too. So, uh, to me, I think it's a pick. And we'll see how the next couple of games go for both of them. And uh, obviously, whoever's at the top of the of the leaderboard at the end will probably get the nod. That's how it goes. But uh, right now, I'd say it's co-coach of the year as far as those two. And, and you know what, Leon Rice, what he's done with losing all those guys, I mean, he is fantastic. What he's done. Yeah, Rice is one of the Leon Rice is one of the most underrated guys in the country. Uh, Twenty wins, just about every year. Reloads, maybe a slight tick behind San Diego State, but the same style, big, strong. Uh, then they play good defense. Last one, Steve Wolf is with us from uh, CBS Sports. Now we're getting ready for UNLV in Nevada here in Vegas on Saturday. I got to ask you about Xavier. You know, we talked last year about you know kind of the uneasiness with Sean Miller coming from Arizona. You know, a little bit stained. They bring him in and. Listen, the, the, the one thing you could say about Sean Miller, he's going to recruit, and he coaches, and he coaches hard, and they're really good again. Yeah. Well, you know what, Steve? I had a long – I had dinner with Sean. Um, obviously, it's different. I work for CBS, but I played at Xavier, and I'm a supporter of Xavier basketball. Uh, and, you know, I like Travis. I thought Travis was awesome, but I, just he was not ready for the, the, uh, uh, the level that the Division One basketball being a head coach. And, and he'll be there someday, but – Sean came back and I, I had questions for him, uh, real questions like, why are you coming back? You know, when you left, you know, you said, uh, why would I drive a Cadillac or a Buick when I can drive a Cadillac? Well, now you're back at the Buick's driver's seat. So <laughs> what's the difference? And I think the difference is his family. I think that in all of our careers, you know, we've all gone through things, whether it's parenting or with our careers or whatever, where you sit there and think that you want something and you go get it out and get it. And it's not what you expected. And I think that Xavier, if you're around the program, you appreciate what it brings. It's a community. Xavier is the leading breadwinner uh, on Victory Parkway and in Cincinnati, you know, for, for the whole school. So he's back. He's a big fish in a smaller pond. But each year you can get to the, you know, the NCAA uh, tournament. And I really think they have a, a, a pretty good shot of getting to the Final Four with the talent they have. You know, you'd like to have a little bit more on the bench. But Sean has done an unbelievable job. Uh, somebody that's a little bit older than Sean. I love watching and learning from him because he's got these guys playing hard and he's got them believing. He's got Fremantle back in, in rhythm. Uh, he's got Boone, who's a heck of a point guard. He's done a good job meshing the old guys with the new guys. So uh, right now, uh, he's my coach of the year in the Big East, actually. And, and that's not being a homer. That's just looking at what he's done with what people thought at the beginning of the year. Steve, we appreciate it. Love to get you back on around tournament time. Thanks for carving out a few minutes for us. Anytime, Steve. Looking forward. I think I, I'm doing the Air Force game, so I'll be out there soon. So if you need anything, let me know. 
777 gets you two hot dogs, two bags of chips, and a 22-ounce Bud, Bud Light, or Michelob Ultra Draft on Golden Knights game days at the Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. At 4.15, I wake up, I brush my teeth, I scratch my balls. And you know what I do after that? I have a captain and black coffee. Because you know what I am? I'm a savage. Savages drink. We drink. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver 7s with Cofield and Company. Jeff Loudmouth, Eagle fan. We drink. It's quite the combination. I don't know how many Niners fans will make it there. There is a massive 49ers fan base around the country because they're another team like the Steelers and the Cowboys where lots of people jumped the bandwagon because they didn't want to stick it out with their local team. So there are Niners fans everywhere. I don't know how many are going to make the trek from the West Coast 3,000 miles to go deal with animals like that. And I also don't believe a lot of Philly fans will sell their tickets. So it's going to be freaking... Hostile, And yet, I don't know if it's going to make a big difference to Brock Purdy. He just seems to be impervious to all of it right now. I'd love to see a battle between fan bases, but not like the wine and cheese version of the fan bases. Like, oh, no. It's, you it, have to check if any of them, if you own a flat brim cap, yeah, then you're allowed in, you know? But, like, if, but if you're you know, some of these wine and cheese folks, then no, we, we can't let you in. We want the intense folks. The Niners fan, like most of the Eagles, and this is a, a, a term of endearment, most of the Eagle fans are dirtbags. Right, they're hardcore. They like to fight. They love, you know, doing that right there. Like, oh, 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 scratch my, you know. I always get the sense with Niner fans there is an upper crust, but then there is there. But there's a hardcore group because we know when the Raiders and Niners would meet up. I mean, it was fight time before the game and after the game. Like, there's some, there are some folks with the Niners who will rumble. I went to Niners Chargers at that crap stadium the Chargers were playing in whatever it was, uh, you know, Carson. And, like, I was surrounded. You know, it was myself, the SO Chargers fan, um, and a couple other Chargers fans. And I'm looking around, I'm like, this is an interesting group. And we, we were surrounded by Niners fans. So they'll throw. So my, uh, my wife, her, her dad has this thought, right, because they're from that area of California. So he's always like, ah, oh, you know, we don't associate the Raiders fans. You know, they're – and I told him, like, yeah. You might want to watch your back on the San Francisco fans as well. Like they, they get a little raucous, and uh, I will add to the uh, I will add to the parameters. Flat brim cap, and if you've been to like more than ten San Francisco Giants game in a single season, you're probably oh, yeah. an, an anarchist of some sort. <laughs> <laughs> the Cincy matchup with Kansas City, the Cincinnati side, because the Bengals with Joe Burrow are three and zero at Arrowhead, have now dubbed it. Burrowhead? It's a good one. Are you sure you want to do that? Oh, they could do it. They're three and zero. All three of gone. <laughs> all three of them have been in Kansas City, right? Yeah. Yeah, they're three and zero in yeah. Kansas City with yeah. Burrow. Yeah, you could do that. Oh wow, I think it might be a little early. Now, here's the problem, though. It is not Joe Burrow calling it Burrowhead. It is like Eli Apple, who's terrible, right? He's been talking a lot of trash, <laughs> like, a lot of trash on <laughs> Stephon Diggs. Like a lot of people have, like a lot of people have equated Eli Apple to like the smallest guy in a group of friends, who's like standing behind all the big guys, going like, "You suck! I'll take you on!" Right? And just like talking as much crap, and you're like telling them, "You're like, all right, like I don't really feel like fighting right now. Will you shut up because you're gonna get him angry?" That's Eli Apple. So that is the complaint about it. But like if Joe Burrow were to call it Burrowhead. I feel like he'd be good with it. 
sign up for an A-Play card and receive a guaranteed $10 in free play with a chance to win up to $150 in free play at the William Hill Race and Sportsbook inside Silver 7s. What makes it tough, Vaughn, is that when people make accusations, that people have to understand that just because you say something doesn't make it true. We went through two hurricanes within a, a month of each other. Our football team was on the road the entire time. Our administration charged me with just make sure they're safe, make sure they're well taken care of, and make sure they're safe. They were on the road for a month. You know how expensive that is? Lawyer, host of Suit Up News, legal and cultural contributor, Xavier Pope, is live on Cofield and Company. So I wanted to do a little more on what's happening at Bethune-Cookman and Ed Reed gone bye-bye. That was Reggie Theus on the way back. Reggie Theus, UNLV great, is the AD at Bethune-Cookman. And it's been a, a crazy week or so. And Xavier Pope is with us, so I wanted Xavier to speak on this topic, even though we uh, we exchanged story lists, and I forgot to put it in there, but Xavier, how you doing, buddy? Pretty good. How are you? I'm good. So I'm sure you've been following what's going on with Ed Reed and the uh, HPCU with uh, Bethune-Cookman, and um, Reed is sent packing after three weeks. Then players were saying the conditions were terrible, that they were practicing all year with, like, mold in their equipment. Then the president comes back, and he's like, no, 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 it was mildew. Like, okay, what what is going on here? What's your take on what's happening? Because this is kind of on the heels of Dion calling out Jackson State, saying there's just no funding. It, it's rinky-dink. Yeah, I, I think that many people are upset at Ed Reed because he is speaking um, ill and criticizing uh, HBCUs in general, as well as Bethune-Cookman, um, for not having adequate resources. I mean, that's like going to Alabama and saying, um, this place is great. Of course it's great. Uh, it, it, of course it's funded by tons of money. Uh, and uh, un- unfortunately, many HBCUs, if they are not a certain tier of school, like a Howard or a Hampton uh, or, or a FAMU, um, they don't necessarily have the same level of dollars in terms of their endowment um, to be able to uh, put real money into those uh, athletic programs and facilities at all. Uh, and so they're not, they may not even be making that much money. Um, so it's unfair for to Ed Reed to criticize uh, when there is a systemic issue involving HBCUs as if the school was at fault for being a Ricky Dick institution. And I think that that's where Ed Reed is, is catching the criticism from. Uh, instead of coming into that particular situation and seeking to better those systems, that situation, Deion Sanders is a little bit different. He came, he actually uh, donated a portion of his salary towards the school. Uh, and he was able to, to, to get behind trying to improve the school as opposed to being a, a criticizing the school. And I think that's what the disconnect is between the Ed Reed situation and Deion Sanders. Let's take with football because we had some moves the last couple of days that I think are going to have uh, big ripple effects in terms of uh, others being denied opportunities. Um, Nathaniel Hackett gets a job immediately after failing pretty badly as a head coach in Bronco land. So he's going to be the O.C., with the Jets, we know that Brian Flores had big issues with the league and with certain teams uh, claiming, you know, employment discrimination. And then we've got Eric Bieniemy, who's not really getting much, you know, in terms of sniffs for a head coaching gig. So, talk about Hackett getting another job after doing a bad job, and then you've got African American candidates who are looking around. And they're like, "Wait, where are the opportunities?" Yeah, I mean, Brian Flores too. I said this last week, Steve. Was, it wasn't just about head coaches in the National Football League. It was about offensive coordinators, um, offensive special assistants, 
um, because they are the pipelines to get head coaching jobs in the National Football League. They're going to get more jobs than, say, defensive coaches in the National Football League. And unfortunately, sometimes that's where some of the coaches are coming from that are African-American on the defensive side as opposed to the offensive side of the ball. Uh, Eric Bieniemy, a lot of, there were a lot of talks about some of the issues he had in college. He had a DUI. Uh, there was uh, rape allegations, not against him, but against several players when he was there uh, as a coach. Um, and, and putting that out there and, and, and taking away from him. But um, this Hackett situation, I mean, I was, I mean, I was, like, I was blown away by this, um, the fact he got the job so quickly with how badly he did in Denver. Um, and the fact that the enemy name come, comes up over and over and over again, it's not attached to actually getting a head coaching job, as if he didn't really impact the offense of that team. And I think that that's, you know, you, they're looking at every possible way to say this team was good without him as opposed to looking at his qualifications as a head coach in the National Football League. And remember that Brian Flores, one of the named plaintiffs in that suit, was the Denver Broncos, and so involved in, involving him as well. So it's just, it's, just, it's, it's, it's just more of the same, and the NFL has these signs in their end zone that talk about end racism, all these different lip service that was just definitely done because of the response to Colin Kaepernick and, and all these, these, these change programs. Um, but charity is not justice, and I think that's what the, the difference and the disconnect we're seeing here in the National Football League. Boy, oh boy, I forgot about the Flores allegations that he lobbed at the Broncos, that the Broncos basically showed up and looked like several of the members were hammered or just way off their game. Exactly. And then they're like, no, it was a, it was a long travel day. What do you got, John? Oh, I was just, I mean, we were, we're kind of talking about this whole process. So like, should, should the NFL just abolish the Rooney Rule? Like, the, what's the point of it at this point? Because they keep just bringing in minority candidates and then just going to whoever they want to hire. It's clearly, is it doing anything in terms of getting minorities and, you know, African-Americans into positions of power in the National Football League? Because it doesn't seem like it. That, that's not true, John. I, I think it's important to recognize the history of the Rooney Rule and where it came from. Um, the legendary attorney, Johnny Cochran, suing the National Football League. Uh, over 30 years ago, the, the legacy behind that in order to make sure guys like Tony Dungy, um, uh, Marvin Lewis, those are the guys that initially got some of these head coaching jobs and the headwinds of some of the work that was put in when there was nobody getting hired for offensive coaching jobs. There was nobody getting hired for head coaching jobs. And so, yeah, I mean, when you see – this is just racism, racism in society, systemic racism. Once there is an advancement, you see the establishment try to readjust itself to be able to – grapple around ways to get around the rule. And so the NFL attempted to strengthen the Rooney rule, but more things need to happen so that there is um, no, more of these, there, there's none of these sham hires where um, there's really good faith efforts to hire coaches in the National Football League. It just needs to be more hands-on, tightening up the screws to make sure the system is fair and equitable. Cofield and Company, Xavier Pope is up with us here, attorney out of Chicago, host of Suit Up News on Twitter. Lots to get to today, and you had a lot of good stuff that you uh, tweeted about this week, and I wanted to hit on one of them, and that was that uh, neutral site game in Atlanta. That went down the tubes when the Bills didn't make it, um, but I think we all saw that the NFL is pretty fired up. They got their beak wet a little bit, and they saw what a neutral site could be like, and then you tweeted out the conference championship game should be on a neutral field anyway. Are you crazy? No, I'm not crazy. I just come on. We know the Na- the National Football League is the, is, is the highest revenue generating, the most valuable, profitable league in sports. And so I just look. I was forward looking. I said the NFL. They they announced themselves that they had sold fifty thousand tickets. Um, you saw right there. They were telegraphing what they were going to do next. Now every single scenario that Skip Bayless was upset about when Demar Hamlin almost died on the field. None of those situations actually happened, but it did 
give the opportunity for the NFL to give a test drive to what they saw as another potential revenue driver and a way to bring in more revenue for the National Football League. And it's right there. I will I see in the next very, very short amount of time, the NFL will have its conference championship games in neutral site. I agree with you. I just don't like it. I, I think it is one of the great rewards. <laughs> yeah, I think it's one of the great rewards for having a, a really good season and also incentivizes things down the stretch to get the home field, John. And I've also thought about like the fan base, right? You're going to price out traditional yeah. fans. Season and, ticket holders. Right. It's like one of the things they look forward to. You actually make it. You get to help your team go to the Super Bowl. I mean, they, they've already priced those fans out anyway. Come on, guys. I mean, it, it's, it costs the arm and the leg. The park to go to a game, to get concessions, it, that's already happened. And so the NFL is looking towards its most devoted fan bases to be able to lock in that revenue and to be able to do that. That's, that's it's going to happen. Uh, it, 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 to say that, hey, we're going to like appeal to the fans, they can go home and watch something on their streaming, watch something on their television, and, and be able to tune into the game. So they're going to be engaged no matter what, but this is the NFL. Um, it's definitely um, is a place where they're going to continue to try to make as much money as possible. And you're going to get that one game, right? You're going to get that home court, home field advantage for that one game, and then you get the neutral site. Let's go down the, uh, the wormhole of Skip Bayless and DeMar Hamlin and conspiracy theorist. Is DeMar Hamlin alive, or is this a Pfizer-produced body double? Because, well, you know, he, he got stuck, he got the shots, he actually passed away. Uh, that night, he's not around anymore, and this is a body double put up by Pfizer. Yeah, I, I blocked. Uh, there's this model and Fox Sports contributor uh, who spread that garbage on Twitter um, yesterday. I blocked her uh, because it, it's it's just insane uh, that people would even make this up. Yep. The, the pandemic is is now. We're on the other side of people at lockdowns and all of this, and people getting vaccinated. You don't want to get vaccinated. Don't get vaccinated. Stop spreading this garbage. No one even cares about this stuff. You're not moving the needle one way or another. Don't do it, okay? It's a free country. Don't get vaccinated. There's no one being locking you down. There's no one shutting you down. Do that and, and, and actually get a life. Find a hobby. Do something that gives you joy instead of running around complaining and spreading these ridiculous, stupid conspiracy theories. I got a couple things for you you're not going to like. Uh, first of all, I saw you patting yourself on the back for Dak Prescott's poor play <laughs> this last weekend. I want the Raiders to trade for Dak Prescott. And good luck with that. Um, and uh, you're, you're going to roll up the dice and come up snake eyes on that one, brother. Because Dak, and I tweeted this that a few months ago. I said Dak Prescott has reached his ceiling. That we're not going to see any better than what Dak Prescott has produced on the field. He's going to give you a good regular season. He's going to get hurt a couple of times. He's going to come back in time for the playoffs to screw up and throw a couple of interceptions and not put any points on the board. Uh, and that's what you're going to see. So uh, Vegas fans, if that's what you want, go ahead and talk and complain and call Steve. Because he's the one who's recommending that Dak gets traded to the Las Vegas Raiders. All right. Instead, Eric Bieniemy gets the OC job and assistant head coach job in Dallas and fixes Dak. That's that's a good idea. Okay. Next one, I don't think you're going to like. Again, I watched Slap on TBS, the Power Slap, <laughs> Dana White show. I like it. I liked it even more last night. And I have to say, um, I actually thought. Dana White came off as very likable because he's so excited and enthused about this slap. There are a lot of very enthusiastic, jovial jerks. I mean, it's not, that's, not, that's not anything new. There are plenty of people who, who know how to uh, put up a good show. Um, yeah. Man, uh, know how to put a great, on, great show for the WWE. Trash. So uh, that's not surprising at all. He's a man who makes a lot of money. He's really good at it. He knows how to market a sport. Yeah, just as I was watching it, he genuinely was excited. But I, I, you know what I think it is? 
he's watching guys, and it reminds him of what the UFC was like at the very beginning. Everyone was super hungry. Money was not a concern because they weren't paying anyone. There's a rawness about it, and he was completely mm-hmm. jacked. All right, I got two important questions to close on, and John needs to be in on this. Xavier Pope was with us on Cofield and Company. Um, I saw some sort of tweet about eating 10 biscuits from Popeye's in one sitting with no water, and you seem to indicate that maybe you could do it. Are you crazy? They were paying a million bucks, I think. That's what it was. Oh, God. You're paying right, me a million bucks. I'm eating 10. I'm vegan. There's butter in it. I don't care. I'm going off of it. I'm eating biscuits. I am downing it, and uh, I'm making sure I drink a lot of water first to get my mouth like nice and wet, and then I'm downing those delicious Popeye biscuits. No water. Let's go. I mean, you're, you're risking your death because you'll probably choke. I mean, that's that's the, is that worth the payoff? Because I don't. I had to at one point. I, I go back to middle school. We had a field day challenge, and I had to eat a stack of Ritz crackers. Right, like before, I I couldn't do it. I ended up spitting Ritz cracker dust in the face of my teacher because I just kept like coughing. And those are no, they're nowhere near as dry as Popeye's biscuits. Yeah, I mean, you come a long way since second grade, buddy. I think you can handle it. It was eighth grade. <laughs> Oh wow! <laughs> wow, uh, this one's really important, and I hadn't—I I don't think about it much. But um, someone was asking you about carrying the wallet as a male. Do you still carry a wallet? And then there—then you guys started getting into like health-related issues from like sitting on your <laughs> wallet on an angle. Do we all need to give up the wallet and just go virtual on the phone? I mean, eventually, no one's going to carry a wallet, right? When we, when we go completely digital with IDs and everything like that, it, it, it's going to be a relic of the past. That's one. Two, have you never, it, Seinfeld was, was, was big on it when, when, when George, uh, he uh, was keeping a receipt for a chair that he bought for, 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 uh, for, for Joe Mayo's apartment, but he wound up keeping it and because he liked it so much. And that was what the whole episode was about. But it, he, he had so much stuff in his wallet, he was sitting on a slant. His back was hurting. That's why he sold Joe the couch for, from the, the team for Joe Mayo. So the, my thing is, like, <laughs> you don't want to slant his spine. <laughs> you want to be able to enjoy sitting. And you want to enjoy not a bulky pocket. But I also said that no one should be putting a wallet in their back pocket. That is the most uncomfortable place to put a wallet. Why would you sit on that? It's also the easiest way to get pickpocketed. Uh, you got to do front pocket. That's the uh, that's the way you want to avoid it. I have first so two things. One, I have a money. Cl- is this a clip? Right? You would call this a money clip, I guess. So that's what I use instead of a wallet. The other Where is are your credit cards in this little like it's like a pocket thing. So yeah, like, like two. Yeah, pretty much. I'm a minimalist man. That ain't gonna work. Well, here's the thing. Pocket thing that's called a wallet. Well, I have a lot of credit. I'm very, it, <laughs> very prestigious. It's a tiny little pocket, cards. Xavier, with like space for like maybe one or two two cards, and then it's a clip of like with my cash in it. But my other thing okay. was, because your point about digital, life changing thing that I have taken into my life over the last couple of months, tap to pay is one of the most incredible things in the world. I don't care who's got my information. I love tap to I pay. Don't, I don't <laughs> care who's got my information. Let's go. <laughs> I mean, we're training. We're training our our, our 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 security and our data for for convenience, and that's just what that's the modern society that we live. It is what it is. That's it. I'll, I'll be dead one so, day. It's fine. JVT and Xavier say no wallets. So everyone in the audience, follow. Get rid of your wallets and get rid of them soon. All right, Xavier. Have a good weekend, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you next week. Everything else good? Everything else great, man. I'm about to go and teach some hot yoga right now. Let's go. There you go. I was going to say you <laughs> and I both, but I ain't going to hot yoga. So see you, buddy. Love you. <laughs> Love you guys. There he is, Xavier Pope. Only guest that we uh, we leave the interview by saying we love each other. 
Have you have you converted to tap to pay? Are you a tap to pay? Only guy? with my ATM card because I lost my ATM card. Oh, dude, you put it on your phone. It's just you double click the home button, boom, just like that. Done. We'll we'll build on this because I lost my card, and then Adam Hill on a road trip had to walk me through the technology of the tap, and I really was like a 88 year old dude. I'm like, what? What are you doing? It's not working. 